0: What's up and welcome back to now nostalgia quarantine edition number, I don't know, five, four, five or six. Where are we at? Uh, Anyways, my name is Pat Sheehan joined by my quarantine co-host getting that long hair along with your boy. Dave (laughs) Marnaswagger. Dave, what's going on, man?
1: Yo, the hair is getting rough out here, man. No barbers to speak of. The cut is needed. <laughs> Much like the hairs in the movie Trolls, which dominated VOD this weekend. But we did not watch that.
0: Yeah, not really a big Trolls fan. How, how close are you to doing your own cut?
1: Not close at all. Um, I've tried to do some like trimming because I, I just, I just kind of get sideburns. It's the way my hair grows. And I was trying to like do some stuff, and I'm like, I already can tell it's not even, but I'm to the point where it doesn't need to be that even right now. So <laughs> yeah. it's gonna be just gonna be as lo- longer than it's been for me in a, maybe ever. Actually, I let it keep going. So I don't know. I'm actually kind of curious to see what happens, but it's it's yeah. tough at right the moment.
0: <laughs> uh, I'm I'm down with the longer hair. I'm try I'm willing to see where it gets to. Uh, what I'm concerned about is, uh, the, the person I live with, Julianne, who I've mentioned on this podcast multiple times, every time she talks about hair always cuts quickly to, yeah, Pat's going to let me cut his hair soon. Yeah. I, I have not, I have not made that, declared wow. that. So she's, Damn. she's sizing it up. Um, I, I might <laughs> let her take a shot at just trimming around the ears, maybe clean up the back a little bit, but that's all
1: I really want right now yeah. too. Yeah, but this guy really... kind look,
0: look presentable, you know?
1: Can't really do it myself, so here we are.
0: <laughs> Dave, we, we actually have a pretty packed show today. Um, the the Quarantine Gods Giveth this week will be taking away probably in the next couple after this. Um, but today we got three albums, uh, two new, one that's two weeks old, but hey, we didn't get to it and we want to talk about it. Then we got four shows Three premieres and one wrapping up. And lastly, uh, a new movie on Netflix called Tiger Tail from Parks and Rec alum uh, and writer and Master of None co-creator Alan Yang. So, mm-hmm. so some good stuff to talk about today. Well, we're going to jump into that that very old album, Heady One's Gang, two weeks old now. I mean, yep, we're, we're, we're past, it, I guess, or, or not for us. Because we... We talked about what, what albums we wanted to get to, and you were like, should we, should we talk about this one? You were like, yeah, I think we should. There's some big-name features on here, but more importantly, another up-and-coming UK rapper. Um, Dave, this Heady One album, this is, I think, what, his like, sixth album or slash mixtape? Sixth six
1: tape on streaming, eighth overall. A lot of output. He's only uh, 26, I believe.
0: Yeah. How are you feeling about
1: this one? Uh, I actually like this a lot, man. Hetty One's gang produced with, uh, or produced entirely by Fred again, who's a pop producer who's worked with a lot of big names. Um, yeah, man, this I thought this was really interesting because you know Hetty One, it's a guy who I think he's kind of blown up really, really fast. as, I think the face of new UK drill in England and. You know, originally it was just like really competent, really good UK drill, big songs like both and back to the basics with Skepta. They're actually both from Tottenham. And Heady One talked about being like growing up like 20 minutes away from where Skepta was blowing up, but not really knowing anything about Skepta at the time because he just was in this like insulated bubble on his estate. You know, that's what they call uh, the projects over there. And it's kind of interesting to hearing that story. And then you, you kind of like can juxtapose it as heady one alongside other guys. We've talked about racing like Jay Huss and Octavian. They're kind of representing this new wave of English rap that is much more refined and influenced by the original more refined uh, established English rap from, you know, your skeptics and your gigs after the kind of corny uh, genesis of grime from like your you know, back in the day. So it's kind of, kind of interesting to seeing like that, that continued evolution and Hetty just became really really big over in England. You can look at look at all his like you know British charts and stuff. And he um, was featured on the Stormzy album last year on the song Audacity, which is one of the standouts for me for sure. Um, and also like Jay Huss, he is uh, has been jailed for uh, uh, having a knife. And while Jay Huss has gotten out of has, has left jail and you know announced that last year on Drake concert was a great moment. Heady one is uh, in jail for six months for having a knife. And you know, the UK drill comparisons to Brooklyn drill, which we're going to get to in a second with 22 G's. Another comparison between these two subgenres is that the police really hate these artists and crack down on them. Uh, just like Brooklyn drill artists, not being able to perform shows in New York city and, Having Rolling Loud kick them off the bill last minute, uh, Hetty One's had his show shut down in London, and there's been other lesser-known gr- uh, drill artists that have been arrested for, for performing their songs. And it's, it's kind of wild to see this, you know, genre, a uh, specific genre within hip hop, be highlighted as like the cause of, of crime and stuff. So it's kind of a it's obviously a, an evolving. Uh, theme between that, but I think in Hetty One's specific case on Gang, uh, he's kind of moved beyond just the standard drill which you expect, and he's already done pretty well in those past tapes. And I think that's kind of obvious when you're collaborating with Sampha and FKA Twigs and making a using your gloomy drill cadence on a Jamie XX beat. Yeah, um, I, I like this a lot. I think this kind of shows the Hetty One uh is really interested in continuing to grow which you know there's actually a a quote that's been circulating around recently a lot about how he's like if i just made drill i'd be holding myself back and that's really really great to hear so i like this a lot yeah i I agree and
0: um I, i think what stood out to me most is the songs that are just him and fred again i think are very distinct in their sound you know like they, they do have that uk drill sound that like ominous sounding mm. um, beat and very like sparse but uh, ambient um surrounding like synths and things like that mm. but there is the way that he jumps onto songs with fk twigs and sampa where he allows it to be their song and his song at the same time which Mm. kind of reminded me a little bit of chance on coloring book how when we talked about that that album we were like every time someone like a guest came in it felt like chance was like playing host in a way and allowed them to shine but they didn't totally take it away and i think hetty one did that really well when he did have those big guests on here so i was really impressed with that and overall just the I think the songs are solid. Some of the production on, on this I thought was really good, especially the U-turn. Um, I, I really enjoyed the way that they had that. I don't even know what instrument or sound it is exactly, but it actually pops up again on 2G's uh, growth and development um, mm-hmm. on the song. Um, sorry, I, I lost in my notes here.
1: Um, that makes uh-huh. a lot of sense, though, because all of, all of the beats for the hit brooklyn drill songs are from english producers uk drill yeah. has directly influenced brooklyn drill and of course uk drill just took this from the original drill in chicago you know at the beginning of the last decade so it's kind of interesting how it's all all been connected and moving around and actually i didn't actually catch that that's interesting to hear though that you you, you could really hear the sonic uh, connection mm-hmm. between the two artists that's why i wanted to talk about both of them
0: yeah sorry to clean that up um Know Me is the song from uh, Gang that I, I, I noticed was the same as U Turn. They had like the same mm-hmm. production style in there. There's like a one one song or one sound that's kind of uh, is the same in both of them that really stood out and I I thought it was great. Um, any tracks from this that you really liked or, th- or thought were just bangers?
1: Yeah, yeah. I like as far as solo heady he tracks. Him and Fred. I like Gang the most. I liked all the collabs, but I thought Soldiers was a big standout with Sampa yeah. just because that was a really awesome uh, performance and just presence on the song from Sampa really throughout the track. And then the Jamie XX song is just cool because of how, how, how I think, unique it is having yeah. drill mixed with like dance. You know, that's just mm-hmm. quite unusual. So, those, those would be my highlights. I
0: agree. I think those are the two that stood out Um, and gang was really solid. We already put soldiers onto our now best of 2020 playlist. So check that out. Give it a follow, share with your friends, stay up to date on all the best music. And now we've already been talking about it. So let's just jump right to 22 G's or two, two G's growth and development. This again, another young rapper who's put out a lot of projects on streaming already. Um, I think this is like his second official album, Um, but I think there's like four or five mixtapes from uh starting in twenty seventeen up till now mm-hmm. that are also on, on Spotify. Um we, we, I can't remember. Did we say he's gonna be one of the XXL freshmen or should be?
1: So he's my favorite of the Brooklyn drill guys popping right now in the wake of Pop Smokes passing. But I actually think Five EO Four is in the best spot to make that list is cause he's a, has mm-hmm. a slightly bigger profile and has a I think a bigger song, bigger songs right now with you know, it sounds like big drip and it sounds like um, you know Drake, who uh, n- released a drill song, his drill Lucy at the turn of the turn of the year, called War. Talking to the producer, XL Beats, he basically said that Drake picked up on this and wanted to do this after hearing some Five Yo songs. So I think Five Yo is in the lead, but 2 gs is uh, my personal favorite just because between last year's The Blicky Tape, the growth and development that we just got. Man, he, he he has this aggression that he brings with his flow with his delivery. It's just so menacing, just so grim. And it's exactly what drill music is, you know, it's about the mm-hmm. telling you about that street violence that has impacted the lives of these artists. And in Tuchu G's case, I think he just has a real presence on the mic. Songs like Cash App, his flow on four times, like I, I, th- I think it shit hits, no questions. It's yep. awesome you know he he's he just it, it's it's really great i think and it's really cool just to see all these guys pop up pop in brooklyn right now because they're all riding these uk producers axl beats and 808 mellow they've made the biggest songs for pop 5eo 22gs and chef g and smooth l all the biggest guys in brooklyn are basically using the same two producers it's kind of nuts
0: uh-huh. yeah i was I was listening to this, uh, usually I listen with headphones on, but I was doing other work while I was doing this, so I had this playing in my, in my living room, and Julianne, who I mentioned before, was listening. Julianne, not a big fan of uh, of rap, just in general. Like She likes the popular stuff, but isn't really deep into this. And I look over, and she's headbanging along to these songs. And I was like... Oh, yeah. Yeah, this album fucking goes. And that was like, I I was enjoying it, but I was like, I don't know if this is really something Julianne would like. And she liked it. I think that just speaks to the quality of not only uh, Tutu's ability to make songs that are our drill. I mean, like, I think if there's one critique for me, almost every single song starts out with like that ambient noise and then there's finally like that really hard beat drop. Maybe you could switch it up just a little bit in terms of of sonic structure. (laughs) Sure. once the songs get going, these songs are undeniable, and uh, I know you said Five Yo is probably the favorite right now, and it, I think you, all your reasoning makes sense. But Two Two seems to be uh, from the artists we've, we've talked about. Seems to be a worthy pick for XXL if he doesn't make it. Yeah. Um, I already mentioned U Turn, and you mentioned uh, some of the producers mm-hmm. that he's working with. Those UK producers, I think they really stand out on this as well. But um, I thought Pop Out actually was probably my favorite song off this. Just a really fun go hard song um cash app is obviously just catchy as fuck like there's really well constructed songs here and uh a lot to 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 like um as you were working through it did this change your opinion of tutu and and like his ceiling at all do you you feel like this Mm -hmm. just is in line with his past work or did this feel like a jump for him
1: uh i think it's a continuation you know he he really blew up back in end of twenty sixteen with Suburban. That was like the first Brooklyn drill song of any real consequence. But then he had some legal issues and was in jail for a time. He didn't really get to re rejump, rejigger his career until last year with the songs leading up to the Blicky tape. So I think he's just kind of got that footing back. And you know, he signed to Atlantic Records, and he's actually also really affiliated with Kodak Black. Probably not the best guy to be moving with right now codex obviously in prison right now but um yeah i think this is just kind of the continuation he's still not not really well known at all he's not super famous so and there's hopefully one of these songs can really just pop for him because i think he clearly deserves a much bigger audience but it seems to be quite a local still right now so yeah i think he's you know i think technically he's probably calling these tapes but even if there's an official debut album on the horizon i think well, all these guys in general, even five yeah who's a little more famous they're they're just trying to really just elevate this buzz so uh, yeah no 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 real change in i think guess evaluation, but i think he's already just really impressive from a technical aspect that you know assuming he can uh, keep everything in order uh you know out out in the streets i hope i i think we're gonna get a lot from him
0: definitely um and- any song to you that you feel is just like head and shoulders, head and shoulders above the rest?
1: Honestly, I would say no. I, uh, I, for the Blicky Tape last year, there was, there was songs that I thought really stood out, like Spin the Block with Kodak was my obvious highlight. And I guess for this case, we have uh, was uh, Suburban Part 2 and uh, Blicky Gang Freestyle. Those are previously released singles. I guess those are the highlights of sorts this time around on growth and development. But n- nothing quite jumped out at me as much the way they did the last time, but maybe that's because he was newer to me then.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I I felt like these songs were just solid all the way through. And that that's kind of what stood out to me was it wasn't, I think cash apps probably the catchiest of the songs, just because that hook is just Mm -hmm. very catchy and undeniable. But overall, I just thought it was a really solid, well-constructed album that speaks to a rapper who's really growing um, technically and just continuing to put out solid stuff. So um looking forward to hearing more from 2-2. Um, why don't we stay in New York City now, but go to a different genre, different different part of the city, I guess. Uh, the Strokes. Yep. Dave, uh, not much of a Strokes fan, right?
1: That's correct, yes. I've listened, uh, to, all st- I've listened and, to all the uh, Strokes albums. I made you listen and- to this one. Yeah, man. It's wild, dude. Oh. Um, listen to all the Strokes. Listen to all the Voids, which was which is rough let's let's go put it that way um but yeah I, I i i'm very interested in the strokes i think they're a very interesting story um and obviously a very important act for obvious reasons but yeah i'm just more like i guess interested in their in, impact and influence and how they affected new york at the time more than the music itself which is not really my jam
0: yeah the strokes it's a, it's interesting right they uh They were the main focus of the uh, book. Meet me in the bathroom. The um, what the oral history of rock yeah. music in the scene in, in the early two thousands in New York City, and for for good reason. I mean, the Strokes when they first came up were an incredibly exciting band, and kind of tapped as like the 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 next. Uh, people to carry the torch in New York City for rock music. Um, Is This It? Their 2001 album, uh, some of the biggest indie rock songs of the decade with Reptilia, Someday, Last Night, Hard to Explain, just hit after hit, Room on Fire, and First Impressions on Earth, both pretty solid. And then there was a five year hiatus. The band uh, kind of went their own ways. You know, Albert Hammond Jr., who we, I think we've maybe we've talked about one of his solo works on, on the pod. I think two back, years
1: ago, I think the last one, yeah,
0: I think so. Um, went to do some solo stuff. Julian Casablanca is the lead singer kind of in now. And they, they've all had their own various issues and, and relationships and things that kind of pulled them away from music. And, but then they came back with angles and come down machine and, you know, both pretty underwhelming albums in, in the really 2010s and, not, then there was another hiatus, eight years, played a couple of festivals. I remember seeing them in um, 2014, 2015 at Governor's Ball. And oh, wow. They killed it. They were fantastic. But uh, it was the first time they had really performed, especially in New York City, in quite a while. So it was a sign that they were starting to like maybe consider doing some stuff again. A couple of songs here, and they were released. But finally, the new Abnormal, their new album, is dropped. Uh, very apt title to drop during a quarantine Definitely. um which i thought was pretty good yeah. some of the song titles i thought were also pretty uh poignant uh why are sundays so depressing i was like yeah <laughs> i feel that <laughs> <Them> <laughs> i scary. really feel that um, up
1: the new york uh new york mets as well oh the yeah. mets that's hilarious one um
0: but overall i found this to be a very strange move for them and i'm, I'm wondering you not being the biggest strokes fan how are you how are you feeling after this listen
1: Um, yeah, man, uh, I think I like this more than Pearl Jam. (laughs) Don't know if that's a compliment, but it's weird because my thing with the strokes and I, I like their albums less and less as I listen. I think that's kind of a consensus opinion, I guess, but you know, I never really liked Casablanca's vocals. Mm. Yeah, it was kind of just grating and weird to me um but like the drums are pretty good on this album and they've always you know it's it's good guitars it, you know it's it, they're doing they're in that lane but I don't know I found this kind of easy to listen to even if I wasn't really like tuning in super hard I don't know man like again yeah, like, it's weird like I think because I, I found gigaton so like in my face like messy and eddie's just kind of warbling around that was like really easy for me to check out on but this i was like all right you know i get it i guess but i also like i'm not like a someone who's been used to being disappointed by the strokes for 15 years the way or or 20 years the way uh you know people that were there at the time back in 01 are like Mm -hmm. so so maybe i'm i'm in more of a position to be okay with their music i don't know uh they're, they're, they're such a fascinating band yeah
0: do you know who produced this album uh
1: well i saw rick rubin quote-unquote yeah. but like what I, <laughs> was there any rick rubin influence he probably gave him a few fucking uh suggestions and that was it yeah but what the hell does that mean I,
0: I was really surprised to see that and it's actually interesting so uh, um where as I was kind of listening to this, I've, I've listened to it twice through. It's not it's not too long. It's like no. I think fifty, yeah, maybe like 45, 50 minutes. Yeah, um, nine nine songs. So these songs are fairly long, which is different for the Strokes, right? The Strokes, you think about Reptilia, it's pretty tight, like three three twenty minute song, and that was kind of the Strokes thing was that they practiced so much, they were like one of the tightest bands coming up, right. And when they and that's went why on they were stage, so good live too. Right. Yeah. That's the thing is that they went up and they played the songs exactly the way that you knew them. And Casablanca sounded almost exactly the same. This almost feels like uh, the Strokes moving into like that next stage of life, what it means to be older, reflecting on things. And it feels almost like they're saying we as a band needs to change because angles uh, and the come come down machine, we're we're not we're not that band anymore we are we're different people now obviously uh casablanca has been a lot more interested in the voids recently Mm -hmm. and and he's very open
1: about that too
0: yeah and also i think working with um like more edm he was featured on daft punk's most recent album um Mm, right and uh, what i think that's one of the singles that they dropped too um and you you can kind of hear that like the first track on this album Uh, the adults are talking starts off with just like a drum machine like it's just like a very like EDM sounding beat to start it off I think that kind of sets it off as them pulling from what they were interested in back in the day what their influences were there's very clear um, 80s influence I mean Billy Idol and the Psychedelic Furs are uh, listed as contributors to two of the songs in the middle of this album right and it's it's it really sounds yeah, it really sounds like they were just going for that, like soft rock, eighty um, sound that they all probably grew mm-hmm. up listening to and, and vibing on. That's kind of what this album ended up being. Now, is that does that make the music good? I think it's. I think they're solid songs. Um, I don't. They're, they're not. They're not the Strokes that people grew up loving. And people are either gonna have to accept that or accept that they're probably not Strokes fans in the form that they are now. So, right. I don't know. overall, I found a lot of it. Really enjoyable, though. Um, obviously, bad decisions. We already uh, had on our 2020 best mm-hmm. of playlist. Sounds very much like a... I wrote down modern English. Um, you know, yeah. the, the, Very
1: familiar the, sound. Yeah. But, but good. It's good.
0: Yep. And then um, I really liked Why Are Someday So Depressing? I know I already mentioned it. I just felt like yeah. that was a really solid listen. Clear standout in the back half. Especially... I didn't really love eternal summer at the door. Something about the songs didn't mesh with me, but
1: at the door, that's the shit I hate the most when it's like a little (laughs) softer. Yeah. That is not for me.
0: (laughs) Um, And then uh, I guess one other song I wanted to shout out, which is the second to last song, not the same anymore. As I was listening to that, I, I thought, "Did Alex Turner write this song for a, tra- a tranquility Bass hotel and casino? Because it sounds like a lounge singer singing this shit. Mm-hmm. It, like exactly structured the same." And it's I a nice wonder comparison. If, I wonder if they've been collaborating at all or influencing. I don't know. Very, very interesting album from The Strokes. I want, I, I hope, if you're watching on YouTube, people, I'd like to hear what their thoughts are on this because I've seen a huge mix in terms of sure. review.
1: Um, yeah. And that's what I find so interesting about the Strokes, too, because they're a band that, like, I, they're, like, one of those, like, first, like, modern groups to get, like, completely, like, torn the shreds by critics and fan reception, which is even more impressive because it was pre-social media. You know, like, that second album was too much like Is This It, their beloved mm-hmm. debut. And then after that, it's like, oh, well, now you strayed too far away. It's like they really got, like put through the ringer in in, in a certain respect. Meanwhile, like after this is it uh, or is, is this it um, they start getting their clock cleaned by the killers and Kings of Leon. Anyway, they never were (laughs) the biggest band. Yeah. Well, that's the thing though. They never were the biggest band, even though everyone said they should be the biggest band and they also didn't really handle fame. Well, so they're very interesting story. I still, I've only read excerpts from meet me in the bathroom, but uh, it's pretty fascinating stuff.
0: Yeah, you know, I think it's also, like, what did they want to be? They were, like, the first of those bands to really be, like, touring and uh, starting to work their way through Europe and shit like that. Right. Um, But they were always about being rock stars. Yes. Brandon Flowers. um, Hell no. And the Kings of of Leon guys a little bit more. Like, they famously had a lot of substance abuse issues, partying issues, multiple canceled tours. Mm -hmm. But the Killers were just, like we are making hit songs and that's what we're going to do. Right. After Hot Fuss, they were like, okay, need to turn out another hit. Like, right. And it's just totally different ways of going about your, your right. business.
1: I mean, you think of the Strokes. I think you tell this to people now. They, they, they shake their heads, but the Strokes were like, nah, we don't want that Heineken money, bro. We ain't doing your ad. Sorry. Yeah. That's unheard <laughs> of now. <They're>, like, <laughs> Selling out isn't looked down upon like that, you know? But no. that was the rock star attitude. And that's why I think everyone held them up as the saviors of rock at the turn of the century because they still had that you know and by all accounts they still bring it when they perform but Mm -hmm. yeah it's it's they're very unique
0: i'm interested to see how these songs are going to translate live because their shows are very much still like tight and almost samey in a sense i think i've seen them twice now and uh they bring a really fierce energy when they play They, especially if you see them in New York city, you just feel, and these songs aren't going to fit with that. So I'm interested to see how they kind of fit these in. Um, definitely want to catch them live whenever we can go see live shows again, which might not be till end of 2021. I'm seeing. So well, I'll, I'll check in. Then. DVD. <laughs> Anyways, moving on to Netflix and tiger tail, Alan Yang, the master nun co-creator parks and rec writer. And, uh, overall seems like pretty thoughtful guy dropping this this tale about uh the story about immigration and tale about tigers
1: right the sequel to tiger king carol baskin right
0: you know there actually was a uh, uh tiger king like eighth episode dropped with joe, Ma- joe McHale following up with people who were interviewed oh Same that's that why today. joe McHale
1: was trending i didn't bother checking out what that was yeah people were
0: <laughs> people were roasting him because uh they were saying he was too mean to the tiger king people uh I really could care less how mean he is to the tiger King people, mm-hmm. but uh, anyways, <laughs> um, Dave, Tiger Tail is this a good movie?
1: I liked it a lot, man. I, I uh, at the end, man, I I, uh, I was moved. Yeah, I, I did like it. It's quite short. It's only like yeah, sub ninety minutes, right? Like eighty something minutes.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I didn't expect, but I I, I thought he uh, Alan really 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 told the story well it's a biographical in a certain sense about his you know, know his father about his father's uh, journey from Taiwan to America in the 60s and that immigrant experience but ultimately it's this really personal story and um, you know I, I thought the acting was really great even though you know, no one's really famous in this film I guess Zima is the most yeah. notable one just because he was the dad in the farewell so he's a little more recognizable but um. Yeah, I thought everyone was really great, and, and I just found it moving at the end. Uh, what about you? What did you think?
0: You know, I, I thought this was—it's funny. Uh, it, expectations play such a big part into how you you see these things, definitely, um, and, and how you experience them. I thought I thought it was really well written, really well told. Um, I appreciated that it was succinct that they didn't, uh, and I, it that, that also feels in line with the personality and perspective and way that many um, people from that culture tried to present themselves is very like put together, very like we got this out in public and that's kind of how the tale is told and how the dad even presents himself in this movie. So it felt in line. I didn't, I wouldn't say I necessarily enjoyed all of it. I think there were some parts that I was left feeling pretty frustrated with. And I think that's kind of what he wanted you to feel at, at points like Man, I just wanted to be like, "Why are you? Why are you moving to America right now? Like, you obviously have so much better stuff going on over here. Like, please don't do this." Um, I also felt like
1: because you know what's coming, you like yeah yeah, uh, like let's the the uh, streets paved with gold. You ain't finding those, bro. We already yeah, know and that.
0: The, and I think that's the thing is that this this tale of immigration, I think. Is so personal, but also representative of a lot of the struggles that immigrants have uh, moving and establishing themselves in a country where they don't already have those those seeds sown for them, and it is very it is a very frustrating and lonely and difficult experience, and it wasn't a fun journey to be on all the time. And I think that left me really not enjoying the movie at points, but that goes back to the writing and acting. In this is fantastic, and those parts. That are moving those parts, uh, those moments of joy are just they stand out so much, and I found myself savoring those moments so much more. Right? Oh man, there's a lot to really dig into here.
1: Yeah. Well, I think that that's a great point. Yeah. The, the when things are going well is when I'm enjoying it the most. Like I, at the end, I had a huge smile on my face when mm-hmm. uh, uh, what's his uh, ping pingji, yeah, uh, when he connects with Yan. Yeah, back on Facebook and then they meet I was like oh wow this feels earned this Mm -hmm. is really warm and just seeing how his whole demeanor changed as he like found his soul again you know that was awesome compare that to in the beginning when they're uh, obviously the the young selves are like at that like like dance club Mm. scene I was like oh this is great man this is some like some 60s romance straight heat right here I love this um or that them singing
0: otis redding uh, yeah, sitting by dock of the bay together like in the woods i was like oh my god i'm like loving every second of this mm-hmm. um but then like you go up to that that moment with yun uh and when they're older and when they finally meet up and she says yeah my husband baba blah, blah, and like my heart literally sank because i was like what the fuck man you two are supposed to end up together like this yeah. is <laughs> this is that real shit but right um those moments of joy are, are are too too short in this movie
1: sometimes for me i wish there was more of it sure i appreciate that uh Zhen, Zhen his uh it's like arranged wife i appreciate mm-hmm. that she she like got like perspective and and, and yes. time in the story like obviously it's not her story really but like when she meets the woman at the laundromat and they become friends and start hanging out and having tea and stuff mm-hmm. like hearing her perspective and it's like yeah it's like uh, this is not this 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 is going to shit. It's pretty abundant to the viewer and to both party, parties, or at least yeah. to them, Jen and you know. Um, so I, I like seeing that. And then I guess maybe the the biggest pain point in the movie structurally is just having the presence of uh, the daughter, the adult daughter. Later mm-hmm. is it because she she's bringing her own conflict, and that's used to kind of like connect them at the end but you haven't been around her enough to really invest in that. You're kind of just being told a lot of it. So maybe that's an area that if the movie had a longer runtime, it could have fleshed out a little bit more because ultimately it's not her story, the movie, you know, mm-hmm. but yeah. I, I still really liked it because I, I think the ending was really great.
0: Yeah. I didn't mind Angela's arc and, and her role too much. Cause I think it was um, at least the way I understood it was to be a reflection for Pinji as like hmm. him seeing right. himself and finding a way to soften towards himself even and right. man it, and it ends on such a poignant poignant note um when they're they're sitting in or standing in Taiwan and he's like yeah this is that we used to dance right down there and nothing is the same as it used to be and he just like puts his head in his hand, head in his hand and i was like oh fuck that really hit me like so perfectly mm-hmm. and right. it felt so again, in line with all the characters, all the all the the cultural pieces of it, it just felt so rich. Um, yeah, I, I thought it was I thought it was really well told, and the writing and acting in this I think is superb. Um, uh, yeah. again, I wouldn't say it was the e- easiest watch or most enjoyable watch, but right. very well done.
1: Yeah, and I think just more confirmation that Alan is a voice to follow in Hollywood you know he's doing I mean between from Parks to Master of None where he won I mean him and his ease are the first Asian Asians to win for comedy writing at the Emmys you know crazy and then he went and he did a forever which is that short-lived uh Maya Rudolph Fred Armisen Amazon show which I think was pretty pretty well liked even though it was canceled after one season And then he produced Little America for Apple um he's kind of becoming a bit of a force so I'm excited to see what he does next. But I think this was really cool to see him, you know, using the the cloud he's earned to then make a really personal uh, movie really for him. And I guess for, yeah. for Asian culture, you know, that that's great. And that, that that's, the, that's the appeal of Netflix at the end of the day. They can help make yeah. these kind of things happen. Because this is a keep, movie that does not have really any commercial uh, viability normally. So streaming is where this needs to be.
0: Keep giving people with these sort of stories the opportunity to tell these stories i think is like the the main line of this and kind of like the take home for me why don't we talk about some other stories that are being told in a shorter form called television which we also talk about here on the podcast and we're going to start with a new show premiered on hbo this past sunday run i really wish they just had the the joji song as yeah the theme song Ah, it's got to be
1: coming right insecure spoils us for having really poignant and uh of the moment <laughs> music but i just expect everyone to have it by now <laughs> it, it seriously man i
0: was like how is this not the theme song it seems like such a lamp anyways uh merit weaver and dom hall gleason
1: mm-hmm.
0: playing these uh i don't know how would you describe them like Old friends long-lost lovers lovers
1: I think yeah like who ultimately a really high concept show yeah um, yeah it's kind of interesting
0: from, from what we can tell from the first episode the the main gist is uh, Dom Hall Gleason text Merritt Weaver and they had some sort of pact that was about to run out that if one of them texts the other person run the other person texts back then they meet on a train and they run away together that's what it seems like it is right uh, they dropped everything in their lives you know Merritt Weaver literally went from a parking lot where she's about to go to yoga to the, uh, the train where they met up. And uh, we're not really sure where Gleason was beforehand. It seems like Weaver's going to be the, the main character and Gleason, right. kind of the, the supporting role here.
1: Yeah. What did you think of Merritt Weaver in this episode? Uh, continuing that kind of like frenetic, unusual energy she was giving us in marriage story. Where she kind of yeah. steals the scene in the kitchen, like, do I do I come in now, <laughs> later? Like, amazing stuff. It's kind of more of that, which is funny because ultimately she's like a really accomplished, not famous actor. Two Emmy, mm. two Emmys with Godless and Nurse Jackie. She was really uh, acclaimed and unbelievable last year as well. So she's kind of like uh, quietly a, a force on television. But this reminded me a lot of Marriage Story, where it's just like, yeah those kind of uh, unique quirks that she can kind of just embody in her performance. So that was really good. And me and Gleason, you know, I think Gleason, he's, he's done so many different kinds of characters and roles that he can just kind of roll with the punches. And it seems like that's what he's doing so far. But yeah, it's definitely, definitely a weaver vehicle.
0: Yeah, for sure. It is actually kind of interesting. I, I thought she was really great in this episode and I felt like she she she's the one I'm most intrigued by because Gleason right he, like the mystery with him is what, what's that voice or what's that email all about and that voicemail yeah. that he has saved mm-hmm. and like what really drove him to text her first but she's the one who seems to have kind of thrown away or, or possibly like destroyed her life by doing this you know it seems like her, her relationship with her husband she might even have kids like uh, I'm well, way she does more interested it was
1: on her phone uh, phone phone lock right. screen.
0: Yeah. Right, so um, I, I don't know if I found this episode super funny. Um, and, you know, it, it is kind of pegged as a comedy drama. I'm very interested to see where, where Phoebe Waller-Bridge comes in because she's supposed to be a recurring ca- character on right. the show moving forward, yeah. and I think she might bring some levity. But this seems more just like a mystery drama after this first episode. Yeah,
1: so. that, well, that was kind of what I was thinking watching it. It's like I'd seen like the brief trailer HBO had have been running, but it's like, is this a thriller? Is this a rom-com? What exactly is this? What are we going for? Because I'm with all the other parts, the cast. Thebolalah Bridge is the producer, and, like you said, has a role coming up, and it's you know created and being showrun by Phoebe's creative partner, Vicky Jones, who had a role in season ones of Fleabag and Killing Eve. So all that sounds great. I'm just not really sure what the peg on what the show where the show is taking us seven episode 30 minute season short cool but like yeah i i'm, I'm just curious to see uh, what's gonna happen because I, I guess I, I don't really have a peg on what it is you know
0: yeah. favorite moments favorite scenes
1: uh when they're <laughs> when they're jerking off in the train bathroom it was hilarious
0: yeah was, uh, that, that was awesome. the scene that stood out for me too i was <laughs> like all right they're just they're just doing this i guess um <laughs> I also really, for some reason, the scene where Gleason thinks that she didn't come back, and right. he's like running through the train car crying, I, that really stood out to me. As just uh stylistically, I thought that was beautifully shot, but also I think that kind of shows Gleason is definitely underrated in my book. I think he's, uh, he's much great. stronger actor people give him credit for. Yeah,
1: Hux. yeah the general. Um, yeah, I was expecting that scene there. I think I was like, "Are they gonna fake us out? Or are they gonna? Is Gleason gonna get off because he thinks she didn't get back on? And then she does mm-hmm. get back on? I was like, No, nah, they can't separate them this fast." So yeah, yeah, that that, that was good though. Um, yeah, uh, waiting for the Joji drop. Waiting and I just want to hear more. This is cool um, for sure. Uh,
0: definitely intrigued. We'll we'll be keeping up to date with that. Talking about it end of should be ending end of May or early June insecure also came back with season four we talked about season three i believe when we it did. last aired what two years ago three years
1: 2018
0: ago. end of 2018
1: yes um so Issa
0: Rae is back uh with the, the whole crew um this was an interesting episode of insecure because uh well one uh the the vision of her new TSA boyfriend uh, clapping his cheeks, uh, man, that, that was some rough shit. <laughs> it's, it's haunted my dreams a little bit. Uh, but other than that, I, I think it, it really, it feels like it builds on character growth while also kind of keeping them in the same patterns that they've been working through for, throughout the show. Like they're a lot more honest with each other and aware of their issues but does that mean that they've actually moved past them? And I think that that's really smart writing from Issa and that sets up kind of the conflict for the season well. How are you feeling after this first episode?
1: Yeah, I think that's a good way to put it just because I think some light criticisms of the first three seasons, and this is going to be the final season, you know, the characters will make similar mistakes frequently and the character dynamics ultimately we're pretty static even if a lot of things are technically happening in the characters lives but it looks like we're being set up for a bit of more conflict with molly and Issa. Mm-hmm. i'm not saying anything drastic i think uh, insecure kind of played its hand last year where it, when it brought lawrence back into the full when jay ellis came back we realized that the show wasn't gonna like take any like big big swings ultimately So I I guess I kind of rejiggered what I want the show to do for me, and in that case, it's hanging out with these attractive people and having this awesome showcase for a Los Angeles that doesn't really exist anymore. I guess, but Mm -hmm. you know, I I like hanging out with all these characters, and if 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 we're gonna see more more of that growth, as that's being alluded to, I think that's obviously very appealing. So, you know, yeah, more more often than not, it's just a great hang.
0: Yeah. And that, that's the thing with HBO with, uh, HBO with insecure is it really is like comfort food in a way, you know, and we talk about that with like parks and rec or things like that. But I think just the way the show is structured, the way that the conflicts are never super like life or death or super um, right. heavy, but still are intriguing. It's almost a bit like a reality TV show um, mm-hmm. um, in a sense, which uh, I, I obviously enjoy I talk a lot about that on the show. Um also I just want more Natasha Rothwell just being ridiculous everything she does I just find so funny Uh, she can't miss for me right now so looking forward to also um, Amanda Seals playing Tiffany and having like complete pregnancy brain is so uh, just just a great uh, addition Mm -hmm. to to this this season so
1: yeah yeah. I shit and of course the music was very choice we had what yeah Tyler Migo Saweetie blood orange and mm-hmm. a brand new Thundercat track, like, really short yeah. for one episode.
0: I was wondering if that Thundercat track was, like, thrown in, like, well, this week or, like, last week with uh, the album dropping.
1: Yeah. Uh, they could have re-edited the mix. Who knows? I mean, thought Black Walls came out, what, a
0: mm. month
1: ago? Something like that? So, yeah, very possible. That's pretty, pretty funny to think about, given the times we're in that they would still have the ability to make that kind of last-minute edit, if that's really what happened.
0: I'm not really aware um, of this, and may, uh, maybe you've done more looking into this than I have. So they, uh, HBO recently gave Phoebe Waller-Bridge like that deal to like make shows with them. And
1: develop- no, it was Amazon.
0: Oh, it was Amazon, okay.
1: But it allowed her to do other things. So it's kind of interesting okay. that Run was being on her HBO, and she, had, she hasn't actually done anything for Amazon since the deal came out. Obviously, yeah. the deal
0: was after Fleabag. So that was Amazon. I wonder if HBO would ever invest in ESA. I'm sure
1: someone will. I think she has a deal actually. That sounds familiar.
0: But, um, you know, uh, a young black woman telling these sort of stories that really hit with people. And she's obviously been blowing up recently. She's been uh, starring in a couple of movies. Now um, how well those movies did, we don't need to talk about. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Uh, And we didn't talk about on the podcast, but Certainly a voice, and it's kind of, I think, the theme of today seems like is
1: identifying voices to invest in moving forward. Right. Yeah, she did sign a a deal with HBO and Insecure started. And then it also looks like she recently linked up with Columbia Pictures for, I guess, movie production. So, yeah. uh, She's very much an in-demand creator. Yeah. Absolutely. All right. Wrapping up with two dramas on...
0: Uh, not on HBO. <laughs> We're moving off. We're going to start with Killing Eve, um, season three, third installment of the series, and it's already been reup for a season four. Mm-hmm. Um, back it's uh, Susan Heathcote show running this time. Uh, obviously, the most famous showrunner, Phoebe Waller Bridge, someone we just talked about. Still executive producing, but I think that's more just she was the original creator, so she she gets that bag still. Uh-huh. Talked about season two, bit of a drop off. We felt like in terms of interest and quality felt a little bit like the characters were spinning their wheels a little bit.
1: Just a just challenging narrative to yeah. invest in and understand ultimately. Cause season one was just so tight and excellent and mm. operatic almost, you know, it just was, just was naturally a drop off. It's just the way it happens when I guess kept brought the show back, you know?
0: Yeah. And, but I think the thing that was consistent was uh, Jody Cummer. That she was you know, a, she's always a scene stealer, all just fun to look at, fun to watch, always interesting, and I kind of felt like um that kind of remained the case for this season premiere, however, an interesting development that kind of then led to me being heartbroken by the end was eve's relationship with Kenny I found to be very intriguing as like a subplot for this season and like almost like developing Eve as like a I don't know uh, where her character art goes next and nope, it seems like now that Kenny's dead, it's just going to be right back to just even a villain now, you know? Right. And I, I think what my hope was for Kenny was that cause he, he's really like the avatar for innocence in this. And yeah, he sure. was like part of MI6, but he was always just kind of on like the information, like gathering side of things, never really an agent, um, and he was actually really turned off when he found out like all the stuff his mom was doing that he felt was nefarious. So it felt like he could be like the angel on the shoulder, whereas like Villanelle is like the devil on the shoulder, the shoulder and kind of play that sure, against yeah. each other. But nope, Kenny's now dead and we're right back to Villanelle versus Eve, It seems like. What, that's, how are you feeling it's a,
1: about it? Yeah. So Shane too, because I, I thought Kenny and Carolyn's uh, conversation yeah. was really awesome. Like how they like, have a little argument about Kenny's decision to leave and become a journalist. And then it pivots to, yeah, well there's still mother and son and they're mm-hmm. going to talk about like dinner later, you know, I was like, Oh, okay. Yeah. Like I'm invested in that, that relationship. And then it's like, you know, it's like, it's, it's a bit of a, a shock, shock value premiere. I mean, it's not, not a common thing to, to get in prestige drama apart from mm-hmm. like, obviously like Thrones or something. So I was certainly surprised, and I wonder, you know, like if we're just moving Eve back to MI six, or you know, I, I, I just I, the purpose of the narrative is still hard for me to grasp, and like the nebulous nature of stuff like the twelve and right, you know, it's just like because you have these two leads that have great chemistry, really talented actors, obviously Sandra is a you know a, a hall of fame tv actor at this point and mm-hmm. I, you've said it all with Comer already so like you have these parts right and it's like how, how, do, how do we like like level it back up you know it, it, it's it's strange uh gamma whalen's gonna be joining as uh one of kailan's other children that's a uh, yara Greyjoy from game of yeah. thrones and um that's cool i guess i like her and of course we have uh Was it a Harriet uh, Water who was is like Villanelle's new handler? We had just seen her on Succession, you know, Mm -hmm. as the mom uh, last year. So I like these presences, and I like all the performances, but the storytelling is just—I don't know—it's just hard hard for me to invest in because maybe it's unfair because season one was just such like an awesome like take on like the spy genre, you know, so. Mm I don't know. And, you know, I mean, we already know that season four will have, again, another showrunner. It'll become Laura Neal's show, who was a sex education writer. So I don't even know if that's necessarily the source of the issue, to be honest, is moving showrunners. It's just that I think it's pretty clear that season one was written as a self contained thing. And that Villanelle, who's like been so eye catching as someone who can like, kill people in all these crazy ways is like talented assassin. And of course, given, given all that with a magnetic performance, it's hard to keep that going. I think that momentum going, especially when, uh, spoilers, we're not killing Eve, you know, that's not going to happen if you keep the show going. And like when, when, when Villanelle shot Eve at the end of season two, it's like, well, that's obviously not going to kill her. Like we already knew (laughs) that the second she fired the bullet. So it's like, right. I'm just struggling with the story a little bit, but I like all the other parts. So I still enjoy watching it.
0: Yeah. And, you know, I think um, I I love that they keep trying to give female showrunners um, some shine in this and, and an opportunity to create based off this. But the story was originally. Based off of a book and I I, I the villain novels yeah but I'm I'm wondering how much that they've gone like off those books now or if the first season was mostly what they use and and now they're like creating their own story from that concept it's it's, I I I, without reading the books probably hard to say exactly but I think um I think your your critiques make sense and I think they're right I think the only thing I liked more about this season premiere that i did most of last season was it does seem like eve is at, in some way going to be on her own in this and she's always kind of been on her own i guess like especially as she her role was crafted in the second season because of villanelle but more so in the first season despite um what was going on i think she was just so obsessed with villanelle mm-hmm. um and it also seems like Villanelle wants to move forward and gain some power for herself. So there's some, there's some seeds of things that are interesting to me. Like I would love to see how Eve tries to like rebuild her marriage, but you need to like, buy me in on like she's actually going to commit to this rather than just like build it up so that they get to a point where they're good then she just goes right back to villain now. Because that I, I'm out if that's just going to be the story arc. She can actually commit to like okay she mm-hmm. wants to try to work things out I'm a lot more interested in that. But ultimately the show is about these two women how they're connected and one accepts their madness and the other one fights against it so. right, interesting. And, and the clothes reflect that they still do. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, question what do you think of the opening scene? villanelle getting
1: married uh that was strange i was like well where's the passage of time how did you marry someone so fast what's going on here six months is that what it was okay i missed yeah. that then quick moving. yeah um i mean jody looks great in his pantsuit so i <laughs> uh, with the scene i guess it was a cool <laughs> way to introduce uh the handler character but yeah i mean the the, the set design is usually really great when it's in those like like usually it's a one film i was killing someone it's like these elaborate locations and of course the mm. costume design's awesome so yeah well, that that was fun but i, I was initially I, like i was usually confused i was like is this just 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 for uh for show like this this doesn't really matter right this is whatever
0: <laughs> yeah I, I thought it was a, a dream actually i was mm, like the sure. starting the season a dream sequence but um no supposedly real shit that happened in this world so I mean, in a fictional TV show. Anyways, we'll be checking in with Killing Eve season three in about eight weeks, but for now, let's talk about Briar Patch, which finished up last night. Maybe season one, maybe just the end of the series in general. Um, we talked about the premiere of Briar Patch. I mean, I think there were a lot of really intriguing pieces to this. I think. Um, we liked the stacked cast. We thought Rosario Dawson as the lead seemed very intriguing. And the mystery um, and kind of like uh, z- zaniness of, of it, you know, like these animals who escaped from the zoo, kind of walking around, just the strangeness of this town in general felt intriguing. Did you feel like this season of Patch*? I'm going to say this season, because I think we can talk at the end if there should be a no season or not. Do you think... This delivered for you.
1: Um, I didn't really invest in the story, to be honest. Um, what, what the things I liked though, it, like it did give me, like I really liked the performances from the whole cast, and I thought it was really well made. Like there was awesome lighting, you know, like there's like moments, of neon lighting, and there's that awesome way to shoot, shoot, you know, if there's that quick bowling alley wonder, you know, and. Mm. I think episode 9 was just really great with all the stuff in the desert, you know, and yeah. Timothy Simon's cameo. And in general, the, the performances, I think, really anchor it. But, like, the overall mystery and, like, what's going on, I was having a hard time staying focused on that throughout the middle of the season. Once it yeah. started to wrap up, though, I really liked it. Um, I guess, like, yeah, episodes eight, seven, eight 7, uh, onward, you know? Like, once when, once things became more, more clear, but, like, the... You know, like like the hard-boiled nature of like the figuring shit out and like the sleuthing and all the different characters. Um, I didn't. I didn't really care about the narrative. What about you?
0: Yeah, I actually, and I I think this is partly I lost interest a little bit in terms of like the mystery and the mechanics of yeah. it. But it, it did also feel a little convoluted. Like even even the last couple episodes. I once we once it all started to come together, I thought, okay, this is really interesting. Uh, i feel like we're getting some really solid payoffs here um i still was like man so this person was doing this for this and i guess what it really boils down to is uh what eve is it eve is that the yeah eve the yes uh, chief the, she really was at the heart of all this wanting to become mayor and yeah. youth, you know, she was awesome. getting jake in on the plot with her and uh felicity was a casualty in all of this so that To to gain power and it really comes down to like the themes of like greed and how power corrupts and um, I actually thought I love Simon's cameo, but he was just so he almost felt like too on the nose as like that, that voice who's like, you sometimes have to like get your hands dirty to do things but sometimes you also have to just like walk away from it and step outside of it and i was like oh okay so we we obviously know where rosario dawson's gonna go and which way jake is gonna go with this right and um it felt pretty clear um but still like you said i think there's some visual moments that really stand out i think some of the the writing and the dialogue in this was really believable but also engaging um I, in the moment, I probably will come back to more than any others in the final episode. Uh, Kim Dickens and Rosario Dawson sitting across from each other with, uh, with what was his name, Brittle or Brattle in the middle.
1: Yeah, I'm coming. Yep.
0: Yeah, and the spinning camera going around. And I yeah, just I'm thought sick. that was uh, just like a, a great TV moment. So, uh, a lot of stuff to like. I think just the overall pacing and, and convolutedness sometimes I didn't right. jive with
1: yeah maybe I think maybe if we lost a few episodes and trimmed it a little bit the the forward momentum of the narrative would have been more uh, had a stronger presence i think Because mm-hmm. uh, sometimes it felt like we were just kind of bogged down in things um and not necessarily that we were being bogged down or anything that was that wrong again, like the settings are great the characters are are fun, but yeah uh, just just a little muddle at times um but yeah I mean, some of like the the bit players man, you had such awesome like. Like casting choices, like you have like Ed Asner and David Pointer, you know those um, media people, and then John uh, Alward, who's who was um, the reporter guy, the old reporter. Mm-hmm. Like, so many memorable faces, you know.
0: What was um, it name? giggles or chuckle chuckles? That's yeah, a-
1: and then uh, heck, even like you know, like they made up a beer and a soda mm-hmm. for this, you know. Like I love that kind of stuff. So yeah, yeah a lot of fun, and uh, I guess seeing 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 real giraffes on tv yeah why not i'm with it um i think my favorite do you have like a favorite line one day was that to me in episode nine when uh uh jake and allegra are digging their grave in the desert and then uh braddles like goon is like talking to them and he's calling jake soft and jake just whips around and he's like boy you're wearing a fanny pack and i was like oh, that's no good
0: <laughs> yeah um now, I think the the only line that really sticks out a lot to me is when the the senator and he's Cyrus is like senator, you know what they mean about taking care of Allegra, right? He's like, yeah, I don't give a shit. I'm gonna be president. Like I was like, oh, that you know what? I'm, I'm I can't imagine how many senators and how many like real politicians have said shit like that. And it just yep. felt like so like in line to me. Um, yeah, it, how did you feel about Rosario throughout this?
1: I thought she was great, dude. Yeah, I really like her. She's a, I mean, she's a, she's always just kind of a, a strong presence. But as we talked about in the premiere, she hasn't had like these like dynamite starring roles all that often. So I think this was really fun to see, just as a f- fan of her talent, you know. Yeah, um, yeah.
0: Jr. Jr. Ferguson who played Jake. I, I thought was the perfect foil to play against her, mm-hmm. and to kind of see them and their their Emotional state kind of rise and fall uh, uh, opposite each other. You know, Jay kind of starts off as this like smiley, life is good, I'm rich, like no care in the world type person at the beginning. And Rosario's obviously got this this heavy weight, lost her sister, traumatic past, been in jail, back in her hometown, which she didn't want to be. And to see where they end up at the end, where, you know, Jay Ferguson is sitting alone in his house of greed as the cops come and rosario is driving away carefree throwing the cigarettes outside the the car with really nothing ahead of her uh, for the first time just felt like such a poetic ending uh really well set against each other um i just uh thought they were a great two people to cast for this and both delivered and jr ferguson i mean he's he's kind of one of the uh an actor that's a that guy in a way like you've seen him in a lot of things but never really like leading role always a supporting role i think about him a lot from mad men and how he's in that and nice to see him kind of get a bigger shine in one of these shows so maybe it'll propel him forward a bit more any last thoughts Should we wrap up uh, Briar
1: patch I, I mean i was just thinking it's like with Rob mr robot done and briar patch as of right now a one season show i mean I don't know if it, w- it wasn't like a huge ratings hit, so I'm not sure about a season two. Considering the first season was a strict adaptation of an- the Ross Thomas novel, anyway, I wonder what's the next time I'm going to watch something on like USA. You know, hmm. just thinking about that. Yeah, I don't know. I don't really have anything else in the stable that I watch. So,
0: a- any chance at a uh, season two? You
1: think? I don't know. I'm gonna I'm gonna say it probably doesn't happen.
0: Yeah, I, I would be surprised. You know, especially. Um, seems like you'd have to have Rosario to, to do anything with this moving forward I don't I don't get the sense that she wants to make a season two especially as she becomes a Jedi now so yeah exactly um, getting that Star Wars bag
1: I mean it, it just looks like it's kind of an expensive show you know it's on location in Albuquerque and I know Albuquerque mm-hmm. has a lot of tax credits and infrastructure for making TV obviously like at the Gilligan universe but um Considering it wasn't like a huge, huge hit, like probably probably not gonna season two. I don't know. Tough to say, I guess. So we're also in a weird time. I don't know how renewals are gonna be handled right now.
0: No one knows, dude, and that's the thing. <laughs> uh, Qu- Quibi dropped last week. Uh, I've only heard bad things about that, so not 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 gonna start my ninety day free trial yet. Um, but we're Save gonna wrap up, up there. What do we got for next week?
1: Uh, yeah, man. Next week is uh. Also, a lot of stuff coming up. We have the uh, finale of Devs on Thursday. We have the finale of Better Call Saul on Sunday, or Monday, sorry, Monday. We have the premiere of What We Do in the Shadows and Mrs. America on FX on Hulu on Wednesday. I believe it's the first three episodes of Mrs. America and the first two of Shadows are coming out on Wednesday, tomorrow for us. Uh, And then music we have, Division from OVO Sound, Buddy, who I love from LA, DaBaby, releasing his third album in about a year and a half, and Fiona Apple, first album in a long-ass time. So we have a lot to talk about. Oh, and the Plot Against America finale is also on Monday, is with with saw. So
0: a lot of stuff, a lot to talk about, and we'll be talking. So hit that subscribe here on YouTube, uh, go to SoundCloud.com NostalgiaPod, follow us there, and also on Twitter at NostalgiaPod. Stay safe, peace out.